You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Yo, what's going on, family? Uh, if I haven't met you yet, many of you I haven't met you yet, but uh, my name is Jay Will. I'm the pastor of a new church plant. See, some of my family in the house. Thank you. I feel like Aunt told y'all to do that because I embarrassed him when he came to Riverside. But um, I'm the pastor of a new church plant being planted in the Eau Claire community uh, right up the street, about three miles from here, called City of Refuge. Um, I'm so excited to be with you guys. I've known Aunt for quite a few years. And actually, I call myself an unofficial member of Riverside, I mean, of Midtown. Uh, I were, was around when you guys first started um, off Schoolhouse Road. Me and Kevin was laughing this morning, like, yo, how long have we known each other? And it was like, well, I've been married 10 years, and, he was, and I was at his engagement. I was like, dude, we've known each other for 10 years. And in 10 years, I've been around Midtown since, what, y'all planted seven years ago? Roughly? Okay, I got you. He's supposed to know. He's been here since the beginning. How I know your history better than you. But... <laughs> Uh, but, yo, I love this church. I honor this church. Uh, this church is actually one of the reasons that City of Refuge is being planted in the Eau Claire community. Uh, through Ant and various other relationships here, I ended up at a church called Riverside Community Church, where I became the church plant resident. And a lot of what we are doing is basically imitating you guys. So you are the forerunners in a lot of ways of what we're trying to do right up the street. So you can give yourself a hand. I mean, y'all kind of quiet. I thought I was expecting a little more life. (laughs) But I'm excited to be with you. Uh, Ant texted me this morning and said he was out of town. I felt like that was a setup. I was expecting to see him this this morning. But either way, I am honored to bring the word to you this morning. Now, we can find more about, you can find out more about City of Refuge after the sermon. That is not the most important thing this morning. Can we get to God's word, which is way more important than anything that I have to offer and anything that I have to say? So if you don't mind, uh, let's dive into God's text, and then we're going to pray, and we'll get into our sermon. Um, We're coming from Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, if not, um, they'll have the words on the screen, I believe. But Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 20. Matthew 16, verse 13 through 20, and it reads, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Will you pray with me, family? Father, I stand before you today saying, we need you. You are so much greater than anything that I can offer and anything that we can offer in our own strength. So, Father, we need you. I pray at this moment as we prepare to jump into your text in the sermonic moment that you would meet us here, that you would illuminate your words and give, our, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, that your words would leap off the page and it would show us a new reality of who you are, the declaration that you are the Christ, the Son of God. And what does that mean for us? Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of your people and open the ears of your people and, and help us to receive this word. Help us to see you more beautiful. Please, we pray and we really cry out to you. Meet us, Father. I pray that I decrease and you increase and you show yourself strong. Throw around the weight of your glory in this place. In your wonderful son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Title of this sermon is called Into the Dark. In August of 2018, the state newspaper wrote an article about Columbia's most dangerous neighborhoods. One of these neighborhoods is a neighborhood called North Point Estate, a neighborhood that uh, was previously known as the Bishop, which is located right behind the colonies. And the other neighborhood was considered the Eau Claire community. Actually, both of these neighborhoods run parallel to 277 right here in our backyard. And this neighborhood was uh, highlighted because of its drug use, the, the gang violence and prostitution, just to name a few of the godless acts that's taken place in this area. These communities have been deemed unsafe to raise children, have high poverty, high crime, and failing schools. Based off the article, no one in their right mind will want anything to do with this area. And as churches, we love to go into these areas, take great pictures, and show off doing many things, but we do not plan to stick around too long because once dark, once the night comes, we know what comes out at dark. Matter of fact, I personally, as I was writing this, I, I was sitting in a meeting this week with the Columbia Police Department, and they said 67% of the crime that makes up Columbia is located in these areas. These are places we would consider dark places. Now, what does this have to do with the text today? Well, our text today, we find Jesus actually taking his disciples to also a place pretty dark. It's a very familiar text. Many of us know it because of the testimony that Peter said that to Jesus that you are the Christ and Jesus calling Peter, Peter that day. But oftentimes we skip over the very first part of this text. We breeze past it, but it actually has a lot to do with the conversation we're having today. Verse 13 in chapter 16 starts. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, stop right there for a moment. 
Let's start and discuss what's so big about Caesarea Philippi. So you see, Caesarea Philippi was this uh, town, this kind of this big, this little city that was located about 25 miles outside of Galilee. And it was known more mostly because at the base of a mountain named Harmon, there was a temple there that worshipped the god Pan. And this temple at the base of this mountain that was created by great stones where people would go to do pagan worship had this little stream that fed from the Jordan River into this temple, and it was known famously during that time as the Gates of Hell. And Jesus is taking his disciples to a place that's literally known as the Gates of Hell. He's taking his disciples to a place where every year they have this great festival where almost 250,000 people would show up to offer an offering to this God of fertility. And the way they would do it is they would get a large uh, a stone carving of a male member and carry it through the streets. The best way to explain it, just imagine um, Amsterdam, Las Vegas, and uh, Miami meeting for one big festival. It is a place that no Christian in their right mind would want to find themselves. And during that time, this was a place where no Jew in his right mind would want to find himself. Yet Jesus takes his disciples there and he asks them a simple question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? This is a question I believe still reverberates right now through our time because we go into areas where God's name is not being declared much and Jesus is asking us, who do these people say that I am? Who do you believe these people say the son of man is? If he was to ask you that question right now, two notch, in the two notch area, in the Pinehurst neighborhood, who do the people of this area say that I am? Would you have an answer? Would it kind of stomp you? Would it kind of make you pause for a minute? Like, who do they say he is? I can imagine the disciples were also confused, like you and I probably would be also, and they were probably looking around at each other like, do he not know where we at? Like, you know, we don't, Jews don't come out here. These people ain't worshiping Yahweh out here. They, they worshiping some other stuff. They ain't coming out here to talk about the law of God out here. What you talking about, Jesus? What you talking? <clears throat> Yet the disciples said, okay. He's expecting an answer. And they said, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. We pause right there for a moment. Um, even though the name of the, Jesus was not being declared, or Yahweh's name was not being declared at that moment, people still knew enough. They had enough sense to know that something was happening through this man, Jesus. Even though they might not worship him yet, they had enough sense to know that something was happening in our, in our area uh, which I like to tell people, we're not very unchurched around here, but it's a lot of de-churched people. 
There's a lot of people who know the name of Jesus, but when you ask them who they are, they say, well, he was a great teacher. He was a great philosopher. You know, he's somebody we can look to because he did some good stuff for good people. And that's the same answers that they were giving to Jesus at that moment. I think this is safe to say, see, everyone has an opinion about Jesus, whether they believe in him or not. Every one of them. Because Jesus' glory is being declared and, and, and displayed even when his word isn't being preached just yet. C.S. Lewis says it best. He says, we may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. Even though his word was not being declared in this place yet and the people had not come to a repentant, a, a knowledge of forgiveness of their sins yet, yet they knew something about this man named Jesus. Their attention was part, sparked. That's why we can go into places and have confidence that no one has an excuse if they hadn't heard yet. Because the presence of God is still being declared before his word gets there. Paul writes in Romans, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, he says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godliness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since that what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. Listen, God has shown the evidence that he exists for his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. That's why it says that as a result, people are without excuse. I've had... People ask me, well, what about those people who ain't heard about Jesus yet? Even though they might not heard the gospel just yet, God is still displaying his glory, preparing the way for his gospel to come in. Before Midtown Two Notch was planted on Schoolhouse Road, God was already preparing a work. That's why when y'all came, they noticed a, a positive thing behind the presence that was already there. Finish up Romans, it says, For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. So even though the gospel hadn't been declared yet, they had already started putting their worship towards something already. It might have been man-made things. It might have been technology in our day and age, which was it's man-made. But their worship was already found in something. But if we would stop the text right there, then they're stuck in their sins because obviously they can only know the truth of what's been declared through creation, but they haven't heard the gospel yet. Listen what Jesus says after asking them who these people who don't know him yet, what they think about. He turns around and says, but who do you say that I am? Believer? Christian? My disciples? Who, who do you say that I am? 
It's kind of interesting that he started that conversation right after asking them in this pagan land, these people who don't know me yet, what they say about me? And if they got enough sense to know that something is taking place, then Christian, why don't we have enough sense to know that something obviously is taking place? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, and I, uh, I love Simon. Me and Simon got a lot in common. Um, I said he wear peppermint socks. He put his foot in his mouth all the time. We got a lot in common. P- Peter is quick to jump out and respond to this question that Jesus is asking. And many times I'm quick to jump out and I put my foot in my mouth. But for once, P- Simon Peter got it right. He replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And how do we know he got it right? What Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. This is a great encouragement to us because this shows that if we know who Jesus is, if we can make that declaration that he is the son of God, then our eyes and our hearts have been opened by his spirit. And that's the only way we will ever be able to make that testimony. We, not because of some foreknowledge or some greatness in us, but because of greatness outside of us all fit to open our eyes and open our hearts to reveal to us the power of who this Jesus is. Early in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, it says, all things have been trusted to me. This is Jesus talking about all the things that have been entrusted to him by the Father. He said, no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the son, the, the father except the son, and anyone to whom the son desires to reveal him. Because we can make that declaration that we know this king, we know this Jesus, it's because he has revealed it to us. And not just revealed it to us, but he's given us a greater thing. He's actually opened up our hearts to have a perfect relationship with the father. Literally giving us the same relationship that him and the father have. We, we get the same, we get the same attributes of the relationship between him and the father. Literally, we get to sit at the table. We get to pray and he answers our prayers. He hears us. This is the great mystery of the gospel. In Ephesians, Paul tells us that he's made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposes in us as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth. Now, what does that have to do with a dark place? Well, let's spend some time talking about why Jesus took them to Caesarea Philippi. He took them to a a pagan place that they didn't know this gospel yet. Their hearts hadn't been revealed to the truth of who Jesus was. He took the people who their hearts have been open, and he asked the questions, who do they say I am? Who do you say I am? And then he brings in this miraculous truth that the Father has opened your heart, Peter. The Father has opened your heart and revealed this to you. And then he does a wordplay picture right here. This is a big controversial thing in the church between Catholics and Protestants. In verse 18, he says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, 
and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want to take a quick moment to camp out right here. The reason I said this is a bit controversial because many Catholics believe that Peter is literally the foundation of the church, that he is the one that the church is being built upon. But here's the thing. Jesus is doing a wordplay. Remember, he took him to a mountain that's, that's got a temple caved, a temple uh, carved into the side of it. He is talking to Peter, and he's doing a wordplay picture here because the word for rock, Petros, is big rock, and he's pointing, I believe he's pointing to this temple. And then there's a word for little rock called Petro, which is like a little rock you pick up along the way and just throw And at this moment, he's calling Peter one of the little rocks, one of the little rocks. And he's saying, you will be one of the foundations of this church. Literally not Peter in himself, but the testimony of what he just made about Jesus, this apostolic testimony. This is how the church is founded. It's founded by the Son of God. It's not on you, Peter, but it's on the testimony you just made about me. Now, Peter is a pillar in the church. We see that in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. It refers to Peter and the other apostles as one of the pillars. And the testimony of the prophets and the, and the apostles are the foundations. You see that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. But Peter in himself is not what the church is being built on, but the testimony of who he just declared in that place. Why is that such a big deal? Because he goes on to say the gates of hell should not prevail against his church. Where are they right now? The temple of Pan, where it's a little stream called the gates of hell flowing into this temple. He's declaring war against the idols of Caesarea Philippi. He's literally declaring war in a dark place. And he's saying the testimony that you've made, Peter, is the testimony that these people in this dark place are going to make one day. I'm going to build on this. I'm going to crush this temple with my weight and glory. And you have something to do with that, Peter. You have something to do with that little stone, what is Peter going to call us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 5? He says, as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God. You yourselves, a living stone, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifice, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Family, Peter ain't the one that's going to go forth and tell this gospel. He gave it first, but we continue it on. The temple is being built by us coming together. The church is going into dark places like Caesarea Philippi or North Point of States or (laughs) North Main or Tunach, and we are declaring war. This dark kingdom is going to fail. And this is why this is such good news to me. Why he, I have such an excitement about the gates of hell not prevailing because one of those most dangerous neighborhoods last year, from September to December, we were allowed to do Bible studies and we literally saw the violence go down. 
We have data and statistics showing that while we were preaching the gospel, the gates of hell was being torn down in this neighborhood. And that is an encouragement that as we continue to go forth two notch, if we continue to go forth city of refuge and we preach his message, the gates of hell cannot prevail. It will be torn down and it's going to go through us. We are continuing the work that's been put forth when he took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. We get to see a glimpse of the past, but he's showing us what's going to happen in the future. Everywhere you're going, declare my name. The gates of hell will not prevail. The walls of this temple will come down. The walls of gang violence in Colombia will come down. The walls of prostitution in Colombia will come down. Continue to preach my gospel. Now, after all that, and he says, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be loosed in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be, I mean, excuse me, whatever you bind in earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven, literally meaning when we declare the gospel, when we go forth, where we go and make disciples of all people, and we're praying for salvation, we will see salvation. We will see fruit. And those things that are so rebellious towards him, when we say, Father, bind them up, they're bound up too. They're not allowed to come against his kingdom. They're not allowed to come against his message. They're not allowed to stop this work. Whenever we pray and preach his gospel, he is doing a work through his people. Now, Jesus just talked real big. He just talked real big with his disciples. Say, hey, we're in a pagan land. I'm going to declare war against these pagan gods, and we're going to take their kingdom back by force through my message. Then he stops and says something that just kind of always perplexed me. Verse 20, he, then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And I, I wrestled with this for quite a while. Like, Jesus, you just all out call the gates of hell to the table and say, hey, you know you ain't going to win, right? You just all out call all the idols of that time to the table and say, hey, you know you're going to lose, right? Why would you tell your disciples not to go forth? The reason why is because even though the disciples have seen Jesus, this is my personal. Let me say this. I believe this. Let me say this. <laughs> But even though the disciples have seen Jesus heal the sick, uh, give sight to the blind, give feet to the lame, he has seen them literally call the dead back to life. At that moment, they hadn't experienced redemption just yet. They themselves were still blind to the fact that who he was, even though they made this declaration with their mouth, they hadn't failed yet. We can see this going a little further when Jesus starts to tell his disciples the cost of discipleship and how he's got to die and resurrect. And Peter said, no, uh-uh, not you, king. See, they, it hadn't become a real experiential thing for them yet. It hadn't been made alive yet. But I personally believe that we see this redemption after the cross when his disciples had betrayed him and, and left him and Peter had left him, the one who said, I'll go to you to the very end, had left him. They had failed, yet Jesus redeemed them. 
Jesus is looking for a bunch of redeemed people, ones that have been through some things. People who have wrestled with their faith, that wrestle with the tension of, has Jesus really changed me? That's the ones he's sending out. Because those are the ones who got a testimony to tell. They cannot, they can talk about the Savior because they know what it meant to be saved. They can talk about this Redeemer because they know what it means when they had to be redeemed. They could talk about this liver because they know what it meant to be delivered. They had been in some dark places themselves. They had wrestled with some dark things themselves. I, I, I want to lay this question on the table. Are you wrestling with some dark things yourself today? Are, are you wrestling with that question, who is Jesus? Who do you say that I am? Are you wrestling with that today? Maybe you find yourself in a pretty dark place and you don't think there's no hope at the end of this, but Jesus did not give them a false bill of goods. Because that Jesus who just declared war against this pagan nation is declaring war against your idols and your failures also. And he can tell you that the bill has been cleared. Because on that day, when he went to the cross, he took your shames. He took the struggles you're dealing with. He took your depression. He took your fears. He took your idols and he nailed it to the cross. His blood was shed. His body was beaten. He showed full humiliation. He was given full humiliation, but yet that humiliation is what justifies saying we can go forth and preach this gospel. Because when that body of his went in the grave, so did our shames. So did our fears. So did those things that leave us in dark places. They went in the grave with him, but they didn't come back out with him. They didn't come back out. When he came back out, he said, all power has been given to me. All power of life and death is in my hands. And those who declare my name have received all this power. If you are wrestling in yourself right now, you feel like you might be in a dark place, I want to tell you there's somebody who got all the power and your dark places can be left in the, in the grave. Your shames can be left behind. Your pains can be left behind. He has waged war on your behalf. And now you are called a child of light. Because that's all the church is. The church in itself is a bunch of people who came out of darkness. That's been called out of darkness and made into light. But we haven't been made into light just to show off light to each other. No, the church are those who's been called out of darkness, made into his light so he can send back to wage war in the dark world that we're in. He's sending us back into neighborhoods like Pinehurst. He's sending us back into neighborhoods like North Point Estates. He's sending us back into neighborhoods like Gable Oaks. And he's sending us back in with a message that gives life. And we gotta, we have evidence that it works. We have evidence the gates of hell would not prevail. We have actual evidence, and it's been going for 2,000 years through his people who's been called out of darkness. We have somebody who's greater than us, who's been, who got greater strength than we could ever have. Will you trust that one today? Will you trust that one that gives life today? And if you have trust him, will you believe what he's called us to do? Go make disciples. Be a family on mission. Shining his light in dark places so we can see the dead come to life.
You pray with me? Father, we have been in so many dark places in our own hearts. We have wrestled with so many things, so much shame, yet you have come to deliver us. You have come to give us life and life more abundant. Father, I pray that we trust your son today. We trust the one who has come to deliver today, that all the shames that we carry, we cast down to his feet knowing that he has done away with it. He has taken care of it. Knowing that your gospel works as we go forth, not just to plant churches, but to make disciples of all people everywhere we go. And as disciples are made, churches are grown. I pray we trust that testimony today. We trust the testimony of what Peter said on that rock. And that we see fruit of people coming to life. For those who may not know you yet, Father, I pray that you are drawing them to yourself, that they are willing to bring their dark shames to you. And that they are finding life in you. So, Father, we lift all these prayers up to you, knowing that truly it's you who do the work. It's your word that makes that brings man into salvation. And we pray that you do that great work today. Preach all these in your son Jesus' name we pray. Pray. Amen.